to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Our Father, you love us, and you want us to know your Son and to trust what he says. Father, we confess that we don't actually know how to live in this world in a way that pleases Jesus all of the time. And so we ask now, by your Spirit, that you would lead us in his ways. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, we do live in one of the more remarkable cities in the world. If I were to sum up Sydney, I think in one word, it would be intoxicating. There's something about both the, the physical beauty of Sydney on the one hand and the wild affluence on the other that makes this city just kind of hum and draw you in and take hold of you. It's like a drug. Um, A New York reporter who moved to Sydney met a girl in a cafe one day as he was trying to make sense of the city. And this dark-haired Moroccan woman who'd lived in England said this, This, Sydney, is the easiest place to live in the world. It's so nice here. It's hard to get people to think about all the terrible things in the world. Or at least... That's just my friends. Having viewed different parts of the world and being in this city, she said there's something about this place. It's so good. It's so easy that you you almost have to lose everything else that's happening in the world. And yet we know in Sydney at the moment that this is a place that not only is intoxicating with beauty and wealth, but is full of anxiety, full of fear about those things that Sometimes we ignore in the world, but are piercing through some of the joy and happiness that's happening. The doomsday clock uh, that's been running for the last 60 years is at two and a half minutes to midnight for the first time in many years. And that's a good picture of the fragile psyche of our city at the moment. And so here we are, having been listening to Jesus through the book of Luke. And he's called us in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, to leave everything and come follow him. But at that point, we look back at Jesus and we think, but do you know this place? Do you know the world we're in? What on earth does it mean in this place at this time to leave everything and come follow you? When I read this text and thought of our city, I thought, wow. Jesus gets it. He spoke words 2,000 years ago that speak right to the soul of our city, both its intoxication and its anxiety. What we get here from Jesus is a whole bunch of his sayings. Some of them are difficult. Some of them I don't have time to run you through. But there are three things in this passage that I think speak directly to how to be a disciple in this city at this time. Spoken 2,000 years ago. So let's go on that journey together. The first thing I think we see in this passage that we need here today is that you are not what you have. You 
are not what you have. In the middle of the passage in verse 13, someone in the crowd calls out to Jesus and says, listen, I need some help here. My brother, he's got this inheritance and he kind of needs to share it with me. Jesus says, "Uh, that's not my business. And then he goes on to kind of warn the whole crowd. Watch out, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Get this, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are not what you have. Isn't that a remarkable saying from someone 2,000 years ago straight into the materialistic culture of today? Where increasingly in our city, what we have, what we buy, what we spend, who we spend with, is becoming identified with who we are. Ross Giddens says we live in an era of heightened materialism. We're getting and spending crowds out the social and the spiritual. I think he almost got it right. I think spending is the social and the spiritual in this city. And Jesus looks at this person in the crowd and, he's, and he looks at the whole crowd and he says, you've got to watch out. He spell, smells spiritual danger, a mistaken reality that what we have, what we own, what we can possess is who we are. And then what he goes on to do is tell a terrifying story to shake us up. There's a man whose crop gets really big. He has so much crop that his barns aren't big enough. So he says to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and then I'll build up bigger ones again. And then guess what he says to himself in verse 19. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink and be merry. What you see happening for this man, the spiritual danger that Jesus senses in this guy who's called out in the crowd, uh, is this, the seeking of security in the abundance of physical things. Now, you might look at this, this parable in this man and think, that's kind of not what I say to myself. But the other day, when I was preparing this passage, I caught myself in the act of saying this in my heart myself. I was just in some kind of melancholic mood, which comes upon me every once in a while, catastrophizing about various things, as you know, we all do. And at the moment when I was considering what might happen, I said in my own heart, no, no, it's going to be okay because I'll have wealth. What is that? And I remember the words from Jesus, and I realized that in my own heart, in times when I consider what might happen in the future, that I say the same thing to myself that this man says in the parable. And what is scary about that is that when I consider what I need to to finally secure my life, I look to wealth before my God. And that is a spiritual danger that Jesus is talking about. I don't know if you've read the book The Hobbit. I refuse to put any images up from that awful film that they made. This is from the book. Um, But I don't know if you've read The Hobbit, but I I love The Hobbit as a kid. It taught me how to love to read, and that set me up on a journey for life, so I love it. But reading it as an adult, what I realized is that threaded throughout the whole of this narrative is a whole meditation upon the nature and power of greed. 
that when a human or a dwarf or a dragon looks at a mound of treasure, it does something to you. It's like the treasure speaks. Uh, in the scene when Bilbo walks into the dragon horde, uh, uh, Tolkien says this, Bilbo had heard tell, heard tell and sing of dragon hordes before, but the splendor, the lust, the glory of such treasure had never yet come home to him. His heart was filled and pierced with enchantment, and he gazed motionless, almost forgetting the frightful guardian because of the gold beyond price and count. The reality of our hearts and living in a city like this is when we see the splendor of wealth, our heart starts saying, it'll be okay because I've got that, because I have this. And what Jesus wants to say is that your life is not secured and it does not consist in what you have. And so at the end of the parable, God says to the man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? The terrifying moment of having lived your whole life as a mistake, as a mistaken adventure founded on the wrong thing, to have invested everything in a security that will be ultimately taken from you. And so Jesus says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Jesus says, you are not what you have. You are not what you can get. You are not the property you might own. Nothing can secure your life. No abundance of things. And one of the tricks we tell ourselves these days about our possessions is that if we just minimalize things, if we just cut down to a few select very pretty white things that make our space look sparse but nice, right? Then everything will be okay with the whole possession game thing. But as a solution, it's not a solution, right? Because you're just focusing your obsession on possessions to a few really shiny ones at the expense of all the other plastic things that you don't really like. It's not solving the problem. It's just shifting the focus onto particular things. It's not a solution. We're as intoxicated with the things we have when we do that. And Jesus wants to say into Sydney, into you tonight, that you are not what you have. And if wealth is speaking in your heart today, that he wants to displace that voice. But if minimalism doesn't work, then what does? How do you displace that? Jesus' antidote ultimately is to sell your possessions and give them away. But before he tells them to do that, he talks about the generosity of the Father. That's the second thing we need to hear from him tonight, the generosity and attentiveness of our Father. I love what Jesus does here. He's painted this terrifying picture of how your life could go wrong. And then he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than, than clothes. Consider the ravens. He gets our eyes immediately off ourselves and out into God's world. Consider the ravens. They don't need no barns. And yet they have everything they need. They don't toil or spin, but they have what they need because God, the heavenly 
Father provides for them. Consider the lilies of the field, these beautiful, expansive fields of bright, brilliant color. He says that Solomon in all his splendor never looked like these. And you know, Solomon knew a lot about bling. I don't know if you know about Solomon, but it says in 2 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 10 that silver was of little value in Solomon's days because everything was made from gold. No one made silver because they could just get gold so much. Solomon's days were days of bling. And Jesus says the, the fields... Uh, and everything around us is more majestic than anything that you can put on your skin. So why worry about what you can wear when that God is looking after you? What's the point of running after things to wear when He can clothe you? Get your eyes off your possessions and on to your generous Father, because by running after these things in anxiety and fear, you are adding nothing to your life but harm and dread. And I have to say, I've never met a, I've been in a place like the inner west. I've been on the north shore, I've been in the eastern suburbs, but there's something about the inner west. Uh, people love clothes here. Clothes are identification. They're, they're about your identity. They're about who you belong to and about your meaning. And, and I think this speaks particularly to our context that what we wear is not to be the source of our seeking and fear and anxiety when our generous Heavenly Father covers the lilies. Jesus says the antidote to the greed of our hearts is not having less but understanding the generosity of the Father more. Now, I don't know uh, your background this evening, and I don't know what the word Father does to you when you hear it. I don't know whether you loved your father or whether you're still trying to work things through with him. Uh, but Soren Kierkegaard was a guy who his whole life was uh, basically held captive by some destructive things that his father did. His whole life was haunted by memories of his father, the great Danish philosopher. And yet he said about fathers this... If you had the most loving father given among men, he would still be, despite all his best intentions, just a stepfather, a shadow, a reflection, a simile, an image, a dark saying about fatherliness from which all fatherliness in heaven on earth derives its name. From someone who has an awful experience of father he points up and he says it doesn't matter how good your father is your heavenly father is but a million times bigger and brighter and more generous and attentive than anything you could have known in your father and that's the picture of father that jesus puts before us this evening the one who is infinitely more than anything we could have known in this world good or bad and so jesus says do not be afraid little flock for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your Father is not a stinge. He is not holding out on you. He is not angry at you all the time. He is pleased to hand to you His kingdom. You see, it's only when that penny drops in your heart that you can give your possessions away. It's only when that penny drops in your heart that you don't identify uh, what you have with who you are. It's only when that penny drops in your heart that wealth stops speaking to your heart to find security in it. 
It's the generosity of our Father, His free willingness to hand us the kingdom that sets us free from greed. But you might be thinking, well, I, I, I kind of feel like that Father's given up on me. I'm not sure that I can depend upon Him to freely give me His kingdom, to freely provide for me like the ravens and the lilies. And the reality for all of us is that we are indeed not deserving of the Father's care. But when Jesus rises up from His baptism, God pronounces over Him that He is the beloved Son in whom God is fully pleased. And yet He walks to the cross to face the damnation that our greedy hearts deserve. So that we might have that same being pronounced over us that we are sons and daughters of a father and he is fully pleased with us not because of who we are but because of who he is and because of the Lord Jesus we can count on our father to give us all things not because of who we are but because of who he is Jesus says you are not what you have Look instead at the generosity of your Father who gives you all things. But then there's something bigger that all of this is couched in. And that is the big reality that there is more than now. There's one reality I've found time and time again about Sydney. Uh, It's that it's so beautiful that it kind of just feels like you've arrived. It feels like the destination. It feels like the end of the line. It feels like it can't get much better than it is here. And yet what Jesus says in all of this is that there is so much more than now. And and the problem with feeling like you've arrived and being a disciple in this city is when you come up against conflict, you're like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. I don't really want this. I live in this beautiful place. This is destination. This is heaven. I don't really want want this conflict. I want to get on with enjoying life. And so we struggle with conflict. But what Jesus says in the frame of this whole passage is that in light of the conflict of the Christian life, there is so much more to come. At the beginning of the passage, he talks uh, to his disciples and tells them to not fear people who could kill them, which is a bit crazy. And he says, you should fear someone else because they can, after killing the body, throw you into hell. He goes on in, in verse Uh, 8 to say, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels, and whoever disowns me will be disowned before the angels. He's saying to his disciples who are about to face immense pressure following his death, that there is so much more than now, that when you get pulled into the magistrate's court and you are on trial and they can take your body from you, that you are not to be afraid because there is so much more than now. There is a higher court. And when you confess my name before men, I will confess your name up there. And if they take your body, they can't take the kingdom that the Father has given to you. There is so much more than now. Don't be trapped by the fear of the pressure of persecution in that moment. Instead, think about the greater reality of my authority over all things. There is so much more than now. You know about that fear, don't you? When you get, kind of get trapped in a moment 
feeling the pressure uh, uh, that comes with being a Christian in this city or with life. Um, I have a really weird example for this. The last time I preached this passage was 10 years ago. I was 21 and I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was terrified. I, I know a little bit more now, but not that much. I was terrified. Uh, it was a, a congregation full of partners of law firms, CEOs and CFOs, and there was two really famous preachers in the pews. And there's me with the Bible going, oh my goodness. Um, it was then, uh, this was in the middle of winter, and the Lord spared me by cutting the power to the church. And it just went pitch black. And I was so terrified. I'm like, do I continue? And they said, yes. And I kept going. But uh, it was this uh, amazing moment where I was trapped in this fear of all of these people and their judgment on me as a young guy doing something they didn't quite know how to do yet. And yet, when the lights went out, there's that reminder that there's more than now, that there's a higher authority. It's a greater power, a greater court that we are called to obey and look toward. But it's not just a greater court and a greater authority. Later on in the passage, you get all these strange parables about servants waiting for masters. And one of the realities of the Christian life and one of the realities of feeling like you have arrived in being in Sydney is that you're not expecting anything else to come. And yet Jesus talks about being ready to immediately be able to open the door because in verse 40, The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Instead, we may become like the servant in verse 45 saying, My Master is taking a long time. Maybe I shouldn't just enjoy Sydney and put down my roots and just be fully here because it doesn't look like He's coming back. Jesus says, There is so much more than now. When the Son of Man comes and he finds his servant awake, he hands him more possessions to look after. When he finds him doing what he was not supposed to, he loses his place in the kingdom. There is so much more than now. And yet Sydney is trying to trap our vision and our hearts in the present. When the Son of Man is coming and he wants to find us ready doing His will. You are not what you have. You have a generous Father. And there is so much more than now. As we conclude, uh, the reality where Jesus lands all this at the end of the chapter uh, is that you have to act on the realities that He teaches He rebukes the crowds for being unable to interpret the times, being unable to realize who is standing before them, and that they now is the time to respond to his reality. He says, You know the interpretate you interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How come you don't know how to interpret me? You have to act on the reality of my coming into this world now and my coming in the future. And the reality in all of this is that we do find ourselves asleep a lot of the time. We do find our hearts grow weary. We do find that wealth speaks to us. We do find ourselves wondering if He'll come at all. And it's in those moments 
that we have to help the penny drop about the reality of our generous Father who is handing us the kingdom that His Son wins on the cross. Soren Kierkegaard, after reflecting upon his Father and upon the Father he meets in Scriptures, said this, I learned from him, my Father, what fatherly love is. And through this, I gained a conception of divine fatherly love. The one single unshakable thing in love. The one single unshakable thing in life. In the midst of this city, you've got to let that penny drop. That in the present, when all the wealth is on show, that He is the unshakable thing. That when your eyes grow drowsy and you're wondering whether he'll, His Son will come, that He is the unshakable thing. And that He is the one who will, is pleased to hand you the kingdom by the blood of His Son. Let's pray. Our Father, we hear the words of Jesus today. And we find in our own hearts the things He says. We find our hearts treasuring our wealth for our security. We find our hearts wondering if your Son will come back. And we're weary. And we're wondering. Father, reveal to our hearts your generosity. That we don't need a large foothold in this world because you are giving us all of the world to come. Free our hearts, we pray from treasuring anything but the kingdom of your Son. Help us instead live awake and ready, doing His will for His sake. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.